0: Good morning. We have the privilege of reading the entire chapter 2 of Joshua this morning. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly for Shittim at spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut, and soon the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and that you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And then... Please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you. You also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sister, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. And if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless and respect to to this oath of yours that you have made us swear." Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless." But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied a scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all this land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of this land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I texted Brian yesterday, and I said, uh, um, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll try not to run everybody off. And... uh, He said, well, I think everybody's kind of excited because of the title to the sermon. And I said, well, you know, I kind of specialize in sermons about harlots and concubines. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, But before we do, let's just pray for a minute and uh, ask God to give us uh, ears to hear. Father, we do thank you for uh, this time to gather together. Uh, we're mindful that Brian's not here today with us, and we pray that your healing touch would upon, be upon him and that you would restore him fully and quickly to health. We ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would be here and rest on each of us in power, that you might give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Teach us so that we might learn to the end that Christ might be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. So... Um, Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, God gives us stories? He gives us stories. He does this because he wants us to understand ourselves. He wants us to understand him. And he wants us to understand what he's done for us. The story this morning begins with Joshua sending two men across the Jordan River to spy out the land and especially the walled city of Jericho. The story ends with the spies coming back with a good report. And in between, we have a riveting story. A story of intrigue and urgency involving spies, a hooker, deception, treason, life or death decision. But it's also a heartwarming story. A story about faith and salvation. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things as we study this story we're going to look at the faith or excuse me we're going to look at the fear of Rahab we're going to look at the faith of Rahab and finally the flourishing of Rahab the fear of Rahab the faith of Rahab and the flourishing of Rahab to understand the fear of Rahab we have to know the backstory we have to go back in time about 40 years before the events involving Rahab occurred and about 40 years before that time, God led, used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea for them and redeemed them and, 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 and brought them into, uh, out of Egypt and against the world's most powerful military force at that time. And yet today, and even within the confines of this room, there will be many who would say, When it comes to the story of the Exodus and the Red Sea. You don't believe that fairy tale, do you? You don't believe that myth. Well, that's that's your truth. It's not a lie if you believe it. But our story today is about one person who really did believe it. And her name was Rahab. She's an unlikely person. In fact... She probably voted the least likely person to believe. At the risk of losing our PG rating, the Bible says Rahab was a prostitute. She was a harlot. She was a whore. She was an immoral person. She was practicing the world's oldest profession. She was a pro. She took sex in the city to a whole new level. And how do we know? that Rahab believed the story about the Red Sea because it completely terrified her. It completely terrified her. When the spies knocked on her door, Rahab instantly knows who these men are. We don't know if it's because the way they looked or the way they were dressed or the way they spoke, but Rahab knew instantly that these men were not locals. These men were not coming for sex. These men were on a secret military mission, and their decision to visit the house of a prostitute makes perfect sense. It was their best possible cover. After all, what do weary travelers want at the end of a long journey? What are they looking for? Well, they're looking for female companionship, if you know what I mean. In Rahab's mind, their presence at her door meant one thing and one thing only, her imminent death and destruction. And fear swept over her like a tidal wave, and she immediately understood what was facing her. And at that point, Rahab knew almost nothing about their God. But she had heard stories probably from the men who had visited her house. Listen again to what she says to the spies. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and your victories over the two great kings. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She had heard stories. She knew very little, but she knew that this is a God that fights for his people and wins against impossible odds and not long after the spies show up, she gets another knock on the door and Just like the CIA in our days they had they had intelligence back then, the king of Jericho sends a messenger to rahab 's door and says, "We think you 're harboring spies in here. we think you 're harboring spies, but before The king's messenger arrives. Rahab already knows exactly who these men are. She knows why they've come. And she's already made her decision to hide them. But the king's messenger asks her to turn over the spies. And at this point, she's at a crossroads. Let's look at her options. If she turns the spies over, she lives but the spies die. But if she protects the spies and her, she betrays her city and if her treason is ever found out, she dies, but the spies live. What's a girl to do? It would have been logical for Rahab to have placed her trust in the great walls of the city of Jericho. Archaeologists tell us that these walls at their base were 11 feet wide, and they believe they may have been as tall as 11 feet tall. These fortified walls were once thought to be like the Titanic, unsinkable, impenetrable. But Rahab doesn't trust in the walls because she at that point is now seeing with new eyes. If she had been seeing with fearful human eyes, the only sane and logical choice would have been for her to have trusted in her walls. But now Rahab is seeing through the eyes of faith. So we have looked at the fear of Rahab. Let's spend a little time digging into the faith of Rahab. In our life, our fears as well as our faith are either going to be Directed vertically, or they're going to be directed horizontally. We will fear man, or we will fear God. We will trust God, or we will trust in the walls that we build around ourselves to protect us. In the story, the walls are just a metaphor for the things in our daily life that we look to to save us apart from God that we look to for our significance, our security and our safety. What is it with you this morning? What are your walls that you're trusting in for your, the security and the safety and the significance that your heart hungers for? For some of us, it's our pocketbook, our, ba- our bank balance. For others, it's a position within the business or professional community and for still others, It could be their appearance or their family or their ministry. But how did Rahab repent of trusting in the city walls and move to trusting in God of heaven and earth to save her? How did she make that transition? The proverb says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And this story teaches us it was the fear of the Lord that gave Rahab the courage to take a step of faith. At the risk of her own life, Rahab chose to protect the spies, knowing that if her treason was ever discovered, it would cost her her life. At that moment, Rahab was no longer trusting in the city walls to save her. She tells a false but plausible story to take the king's messengers off track And she is now at that point seeing through the eyes of her newfound faith. Now, the God of the Exodus and the God of the Red Sea is still alive today. The God of Rahab is alive and well. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like Abraham, our father in the faith, when Rahab believed God, God credited her faith to her as righteousness. Just like the Apostle Paul would say centuries later, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. And so after, after the uh, king's messenger leaves, Rahab cuts to the chase. And she says, now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to me and all my family. Give me a sure sign that you're going to save me from death. She's desperately bargaining. If any of you know anything about the book of death and dying... Uh, by Kubler Ross, bargaining is one of the essential key elements that everyone goes through when they fear their imminent death. But if we look at what she's doing through the eyes of faith, we see a different story. Because Rahab is actually appealing to these spies and praying to their God through them, saying, Save me, rescue me, have mercy. On me. The spies say to Rahab, Our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we're doing and you treat, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. But there's only two conditions. First, everybody that you want to be saved needs to be in your house when we come back, or their blood is on their head, not ours. And second, This scarlet cord, you take this and you tie that in the window where you let us down, and you don't ever let it out of your window until the city falls. What were they doing? They were entering not into just a deal, they were entering into a covenant. They were entering into a covenant relationship, like the wedding band on your finger if you're married today. It was a token, it was a symbol of the sure promises of the God that sent the spies. It was a certain promise. It was a token of the covenant that she had entered into with the spies. And Rahab, from that moment on, began to cling to the God of the scarlet cord. Well, let's we, we had to look backwards to see about the fear of Rahab and the faith of Rahab we need to look forward to understand the incredible flourishing of Rahab. In Joshua chapter six, it says, God was true to his covenant promise, and when the city fell, only Rahab and her family were spared. And then it records something remarkable. And Rahab lives among the Israelites to this day. She not only lived among the Israelites, She flourished in ways that were beyond her imagination, more than she could have ever hoped or expected. And to fully understand how she flourished, we have to go ahead hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we see that Rahab repented of her prostitution that she found real, true love, that she married a man named Salmon, and that she and Salmon had a son. I forgot one important point, and some of you know why it's important. Oh, no, I, no. <laughs> she and Salmon had a son, and the boy's name was Boaz. The boy's name was Boaz, and that son married Ruth, the very Ruth of the Bible. And Boaz and Ruth's son had a, got married, and they had another son, and yada, yada, yada. It turns out that Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David, Israel's greatest king. And yada, 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 it turns out that Rahab, the immoral harlot, is in the lineage of the great redeemer king, Jesus Christ, David's greatest son. Rahab flourished in ways that were beyond her ability to understand or imagine or appreciate at the time, so much so that this immoral harlot shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith chapter, as one of the very, Best examples of a heroine of biblical faith. So <laughs> this is a fascinating story. And uh, what's the moral? Uh, Mama, don't let your daughters grow up to be hookers. Uh, yeah, that would be good. That we we, we want to start there. Uh, or could we conclude that uh, Rahab was just one lucky harlot? Uh, well, or is there something more going on? behind the scenes. You see, the danger of reading Bible stories is that we can know the stories, but we can miss the stories of the Bible. We can know Bible stories, but we can miss the stories of the Bible. In this, in this, to this point, we've been focused so much on the, the spies, the hooker, and the scarlet cord that we might miss the fact that behind the story, in the, in the background is the author of the story. Consider what happened here. Consider it. In the providence of God, the spies come to Rahab's house. In the providence of God, Rahab had heard of this God before the spies arrived. In the providence of God, Rahab recognizes the spies as emissaries of that God, and by the grace of God, Rahab believed the God of Israel was the God of heaven and the God of earth, and she makes her profession of faith. When the spies arrived at her door, Rahab assumed that they were there to usher in her imminent judgment and destruction. It was only years and years later that she could look back and see how this awesome God, the God of heaven and earth, was working behind the scenes all the time, lovingly, tenderly, and graciously pursuing her. What we see within Joshua 2 is a story story within a story. Joshua sent the spies on a military mission, but behind the scenes, God was sending the spies on a spiritual mission. Joshua sent the spies to check out the land, to, to spy out the land, but behind the scenes, God was sending the spies to bring his salvation to one unlikely woman the first Gentile known to have been converted to the faith. And seen through the eyes of this faith, these missionaries function, these, these spies, rather, function as missionaries, right? They were bringing the salvation of God to a most unlikely woman. And this should remind us that God may choose to use us as missionaries to bring his salvation to a most unlikely person in a most unlikely time and in a most unlikely way. The Proverbs says that many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that will prevail. God used Joshua's plan and the spies to accomplish God's purposes in the life of Rahab. At the very core, this story is a God-ordained mission to save one unlikely woman. At its core, it's a love story, a story of God's love, his tender kindness, and his mercy, and his plans and purposes for Rahab. So we learned that the grace of God had produced the fear of the Lord in Rahab, not a craven human fear but a fear that leads to faith and her salvation. And it is the same fear that led to your salvation and my salvation. You remember the old song? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You see, this is not just a story about what God has done for Rahab, this is a story. About what God has done for me. And what God has done for you. Rahab's story is my story. Rahab's story is your story. A couple things that we learn. In sort of an overview fashion. And that is that. Rahab certainly didn't deserve. The grace of God. And she certainly didn't earn it. And what we do learn from this story is that no matter who you are, no matter where you have gone, and no matter what you have done, God's grace is for everyone and anyone who will call out for his mercy. And to be clear, Rahab was not saved because she had leverage with God, was kind to the spies, and cut a good deal for herself. That would be what the Greeks call eudaimonism, doing good to get good. I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine. Do you see it? Rahab's decision to protect the spies was made before her decision, before the king's messenger came. Rahab's decision to protect the spies was the fruit of her faith. It was the fruit, the works of her faith working itself out. Like everyone, Rahab came to God empty-handed. And we see that in every case where God shows mercy, as he did in Rahab's case, his mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, let me just say that one of the things that I think is somewhat it, it, its current and relevant is that Rahab asked for a sign. Rahab asked for a sign. Every people in every generation have always asked for a sign. And what does Jesus tell us? He says, no sign will be given this wicked and adulterous generation except what? The sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign we get is the empty tomb. The sign we get is the empty tomb, and his resurrection is a guarantee of our future resurrection, a flourishing to which we have no ability to fully understand or appreciate at this time. But just as everybody always asks for a sign, there's always skeptics, right? That's your truth. The resurrection, it's not a lie if you believe it. Thank God for the word of God (laughs) because we have a story here that helps us to understand what's going on in your heart and my heart. Remember Thomas? He said, unless I see the... The wounds in his hand unless I put my hands into his side I'm not going to believe I will not believe even though he had been told even though he had been told by people he trusted I will not believe and a few days later Jesus shows up in the, in the place where Thomas is and he says Thomas Thomas put your fingers right here and now put your hand right here stop doubting and believe Stop doubting and believe. And then he says to Thomas, as he says to every one of us today, blessed are you who have seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You have, because you saw me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Rahab had not seen the Red Sea, and yet she believed. And she experienced more blessing from that faith of hers than she could have ever, ever imagined. So, at the time of her conversion, Rahab knew very little about God other than he was a a warrior God who fought for his people and against all odds, won an amazing victory over the Egyptian army. But when she got grafted into her loving community, she would learn the backstory. She would learn the backstory. There is no exodus without a Passover. And there is no Passover without a lamb. The story that the the in the spies, they 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 told her how she would be saved. Remember it? They said, life for a life. And this story, that point, that message, points beyond itself thousands and thousands of years to a point where Jesus is on the cross and he says to all who have ears to hear, life for a life, my life for your life. You see, the the cross is not just a revelation, It is a substitution. God does not forgive sin. God does not forgive sin. He forgives sinners. Our sin must still be paid for. And at the cross, we find out just what it cost for God to love us. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love him because he first loved us. With the benefit of faith and the benefit of hindsight, we can now see that Jesus came as the final Passover, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as we read before earlier this morning, as Isaiah said, the punishment that brought us peace with God was upon him and by his wounds I am healed. You are healed. We are healed. Today, thankfully, we don't cling to a scarlet cord anymore, but with the eyes of faith we cling to a symbol of a new and better covenant. We king Cling to, our hearts cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what the old song said? I will, che- I will cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for, for a crown. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, um, your stories are amazing. And we confess that oftentimes we get bogged down in the events and the, the spies, the hooker and the scarlet cord and we forget that behind it all you were working out your plan to save one unlikely woman pursuing her, loving her providing her with your tender mercy and your salvation in the exact same way you did for you, me, and you did for everyone here. And so we thank you, uh, Lord, for your your wisdom, your kindness, and your mercy as it is expressed to us on the cross. In, In Jesus' name we pray, amen.